Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined as always by Phil Kittrow-Milides and also former Leeds United striker Michael Bridges. Now let's start with this. Jaden Sancho got an assist on his Dortmund return. What's your best, I'll show them what they're missing moment in your career? Or best debut? Bridgie, have you got one? Best debut? Swartzy, I've already got one debut. <laughs> what, on this podcast so, or in general? On this podcast, yeah, probably after <laughs> this podcast. Uh, I've, now, there's a couple of moments that stand out to me, mate. Um, I'm actually gutted to see Jaden Sancho leave the Premier League. I quite enjoyed seeing him in there. Obviously, what's going on with um, Tenag is determined that he goes back to the club where he, you know, he enjoyed his football. So I, I wish him all the best over then. Hopefully, he can get his attitude going. But my debut for Sunderland uh, it was against Port Vale. It was a nil-nil classic. I came on with thirty minutes to go. Peter Reid put us on after I spewed on the bench with the nerves kicking in. I was on the substitute bench for about six times and didn't make an appearance. So he broke us in gently. And then I was given license to go out and I hit the crossbar. Uh, I had three or four shots that went over the bar uh, and wide of the post and got myself involved in the game. I was just turned 17 and I came off the field to find out that I'd won three Man of the Match awards, a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of champagne and a bottle of vodka at the age of 17. So that was quickly confiscated off my father. Um, he took that and he had a great <laughs> night. So I never saw them, but that, uh, the, the debut experience was fantastic. But my moment of eat that and stick that up yours was against um, Sydney FC because I was used to be at Sydney FC um, and Cosme, with Branko Kalina, Cosmina came in and Cosy didn't play us. So I went back to England um, for about three months. And then Newcastle Jets re-signed us for six months with Branko Kalina. And what I loved was when we played against Sydney FC, um, there was Clint Bolt was in goal, old Butzer. I managed to score a penalty against him. And then we, we beat them 3-1 in the end, Sydney FC. And I scored a goal from about 35 yards out against Butzer, bottom corner. And I remember just turning up to all the Sydney FC directors and just giving them a little bit of have that. And then um, signed the new contract for Newcastle Jets for another 18 months. So that was the moment of, yeah, suck on that. <laughs> if you're allowed to say that. <laughs> You saved yourself because I thought when you said that you got a bottle of vodka and the whiskey, um, I was just about to say, well, that explains a lot about how you got injured throughout your career. But you saved yourself by saying that your dad took it off. My father was a great father figure and good role model. I can imagine. Hey, Phil, have you got one where I'll show them what they're missing moment or a debut on something you've done? You know, you know what? I don't necessarily have. A, I'll show them what they're missing moment. But this is what I was. I was thinking the closest I've, I've I've come to something like this. Obviously, I worked for Real Madrid TV for for nine years, and then I left in 2021. And so my first broadcast appearance after leaving uh, Real Madrid TV and joining La Liga TV was on a was on another podcast. It's a podcast I do about Spanish football. Been doing it for a while. And when you work for Real Madrid TV, there are certain things you can and cannot 
say. There are some things that you really cannot say. So on my debut on this uh, podcast post leaving Real Madrid TV, I was thanking everyone for the nice messages and I said, guys, I've really got to say something because I've got to get this off my chest. Oh my God, Lionel Messi is the best player of all time and it's not even close because obviously I've had nine years when I was not allowed to say that in any public sphere. So uh, that felt good uh, getting that off my chest after nine years publicly being able to say, yes, obviously Messi is the best. It's not even a question, obviously. So yeah, that was good. How, did you get a backlash? <laughs> I think people just thought it was funny. No, not 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 too much backlash. No. Sporty, what have you got? I like that one from Phil. Um, I for me it would have to be. I mean, I've probably got two of uh, those moments. I'll show them what they're missing. Um, when I left Kaiserslautern in, uh, in Germany and I went to Bradford City, um, I initially went to Man City on trial and I. Long story, but I won't go in there. But I chose Bradford City over Manchester City at that time. It was very, very different to what we see today. Chris Kamara was a manager of Bradford City. Um, and then, uh, sorry, at Bra- yeah, Bradford City. And at Man City, it was um, Steve Koppel. And then he resigned literally a day or two before I was going to go then. Phil Neal took over. And I decided to go to Bradford City. Chris Kamara was my manager. And after th- and, and they sold me. So I, I was bought from Kaiserslautern for £155,000. And then I played for Bradford City, played 13 games, and then Middlesbrough came in and bought me for £1.25 million. So that was my moment of, I'll show you what you're missing. And it actually got big headlines throughout Germany because at that time, it was still the German Deutschmark, and it was over 3 million Deutschmarks in transfer fee. And the the record in the uh, in the Bundesliga at the time was Oliver Kahn going from Karlsruhe to Bayern Munich, and it was 3 million euros. So... I was actually bought for more than what Oliver Kahn was bought for uh, to buy a week. So that's, that's my claim that's to fame. That's a and disgrace when you think mm-hmm. about it. One of the best goalkeepers in the world. And you, <laughs> oh, crazy, isn't You it? were like bang average and you broke his record. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, Nothing wrong digging. with that, mate. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and the other one was when I, left, when I left Middlesbrough and I signed for Fulham. And it was one of those things where all the undercurrent I was getting at the club at, at Middlesbrough at that time was that I was too old and I was past it and my legs had gone and I went and signed for, for Fulham and uh, I copped quite a lot of abuse for it and uh, you know people not understanding because at the time Middlesbrough finished above uh, this, the previous season so when I was at Middlesbrough we finished above Fulham Fulham stayed up with 15 minutes to play in the season and uh, I then decided to go to Fulham and leave Middlesbrough and the moment for me which which kind of was one of those ones where it was like, okay, I'll show you what you're missing is when we went to um, the Riverside and played there towards the back end of the season and we were Fulham and we drew nil-nil and I played really, really well and I got booed every time I touched the ball. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is what you're missing. My legs haven't gone. They're clearly not gone. We finished seventh that year and Middlesbrough got relegated. So don't really need to say much more, but not that I was the specific reason for that, (laughs) but I had a part to play, of course. (laughs) Bravo. Let's start with Jane Sancho's parent club, Manchester United to Spurs 2. Um, who's the better result for, Phil? Who, who do you reckon is happier with that result in the end? It's actually a really good question um, because I think both uh, both teams have uh, reasons to be pleased and disappointed with the uh, with the result. I just It does feel like for Spurs a, a missed opportunity to have gone there, to have picked up points, to have gone above Arsenal, having... I feel... 
dominated more of the game than Manchester United. Um, more shots, more shots on target, more corners. Um, I don't know the possession stats, but it certainly felt like they uh, created a, a decent amount of danger. It was an, you know, another exciting performance from um, Ange's side, but at the same time, United had chances as well that really should have been a goal from Scott McTominay in the 94th minute. So on the balance of play, I guess it is a fair result, but you know, that's my sort of journalistic analysis. Um, as a Spurs fan uh, analysis, I was actually disappointed. And then I was speaking to some other Spurs fans and they were like, no, no, it's a point. We'll take that. We'll take that. It's, it's not a bad result. It's not a bad result. So after speaking to some other Spurs fans, they sort of brought me down a little bit. But initially, my assessment was, oh, I'm a bit disappointed there. And I guess that gives you an idea of um, where Spurs are at at the moment. Hang on. The penny's just dropped. I'm doing this podcast with two Spurs fans. Here we go. Come on, Bridget. Give us your, give us your verdict. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to agree with Phil. I was disappointed, you know, um, because the possession stats, you are. Uh, as Phil, of course Phil you alluded did. to there, 60-odd percent at Old Trafford, more shots on target, more chances created, more touches in the opposition box. Uh, and it was a, it was just a very, very exciting Spurs performance. And I think, Ange, uh, let's just digest what Ange Postacoglu, we've got an Australian coach in the Premier League going to Old Trafford and getting a point, uh, I just think it's it's absolutely incredible. The not take away the Spurs side of it, just what we're witnessing from Ange. He's, he's going there, he's not fearful, and um, I, it was a very very entertaining game for the for the neutral that was in that was involved. But as a Spurs fan, going to Old Trafford and getting a point, it, it, you've got to be happy with that. But I guess I'm I'm with Phil. I was disappointed we didn't get all three. But then the McTominay chance, I'm kind of going, if anybody I didn't want that ball to fall to inside the six-yard box for a header, it was Scott McTominay. So I'm secretly thinking that he might be a Spurs fan as well after that miss, and he's um, he's jumped on the bandwagon <laughs> as well. You never know. But a, a hell of a game, and I think it was a it was actually a better result for all the teams in and around um, your likes of Newcastle United yeah. that have been struggling of late, your Chelsea's that are chasing the chasing pack now, that are on a decent run. So I think it was the result did not favour either team. Uh, the fact that there's a lot of teams now going for that Champions League spots. And the positive for Manchester United, Hoyland scores again, Bridgie. What a finisher. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what a finisher. I think you saw the relief. You you know what it's like, Mark, when you're, when you're playing. You've played with a lot of strikers in your time. And you've, you'll have seen goal droughts. You'd have seen players going through thinking, what the heck have I got to do now in training? You're seeing them bank goals in at will. And it's just, you know, the Champions League, he was flying. The Premier League has really struggled. Um, and there's two two reasons I give for that. The, the distribution or the service towards him, I'd be absolutely fuming if I was playing for Man United at certain times because you have inverted wingers that he loves to play with. And if Ant Anthony, I don't think he'll probably get any assists for the rest of the season because I, he just drifts inside all the time and has his shots in the stand. Rashford hasn't been on great form. Um, so he hasn't had the service in the supply line, but the relief in his last goal that he scored when it fell to him inside the penalty area and he slotted it away, you could tell all the players ran to him and he, you know, he had tears in his eyes. And I would just say from that moment, he's broken. We know he can score goals. He's seen the Champions League. He's broken his duck. And to see him go and get another one in the manner that he did, um, I can see him sort of thrive now and, and flourish. And I'd love to see Ten Hag. I know he won't, but I'd love to see him play opposite wingers. So you've got Rashford whipping them in on the right and you've got Anthony or somebody whipping them in the left. Going back to the old Giggs and Beckham style where instead of coming inside, just to see how much Hoyland will thrive off getting actual service into the area because he's a predator, mate, and he's a very, very good player. 
Um, Phil, we talk about uh, Ange, obviously, and the result and possibly Spurs being a little bit disappointed. But one thing that Ange definitely would be very, very happy about is the fact that Van der Ven was back in the side, Romeo, and of course, Werner uh, started his very, very first game uh, for Tottenham. So that, that's a lot of positives. Considering how many, how many players have been injured, Son's away still, they've got, you know, there are things that Spurs, what they've done and how they've been able to maintain that touching distance with the top teams, with all the injuries has been also impressive. Really has. And yeah, uh, Van der Ven came back and looked maybe like he might need, you know, another game or so to get back to his uh, his, his full best. But Romero is just a, an absolute beast. And when those two are um, fully fit and on form, one of the best centre-back pairings in the, in, in the Premier League, um, pretty clearly. Werner, I was... Positive about his signing on this podcast. I thought that he could do a job. I thought that his, you know, energy and movement could fit into the Postacoglu uh, system. And then this performance got me a little bit down on on what uh, Werner can offer because this Spurs team is all about sort of uh, risking stuff and taking things on and taking players on and, and and you know and he didn't do any of that he sort of slowed down all the attacks um yesterday and i mean he held the ball up nicely for uh, one of the goals uh, for benton core and i don't know I, I think he he can he can bring something to the team but it's not necessarily what i thought he was going to bring because this 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 performance he just seemed to slow things down and he didn't seem to have that spark that this spurs side is is all about and then we know that his shooting and finishing can be wayward but if he can bring energy and high pressing and um, pace on the break then then maybe that can be useful and I didn't see enough of that uh, from um, from him at Old Trafford I don't know what you made of that um, performance Bridget as a, as a striker he's been brought in for a different reason forget he forget his goals he's been brought in for the fact that Ange like you say there um, Phil it's his high intensity runs, his recoveries. He's able to do a press, and he, you know, he, he defends. He's a team player. If we were bringing him in to get the goals, <laughs> um, you know, I'd be, I'd be really questioning that anything's going to be a bonus. And I think the, the, the highlights reel, or as somebody alluded to yesterday when I was saying this, another one for the Werner highlights reel when he skied one into the stands. They actually said, well, his Chelsea highlights yeah. reels was like a bloopers reel. So he hasn't come here for that. Um, it, you know, it wasn't wasn't the greatest of of um, debuts for for the club, but it was great to see that Ange was happy to throw him in there, and I think his work rate was absolutely superb. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to jump on and say he's horrendous because I, I still think there is a a great player with a point to prove. And we've just discussed at the start of the podcast. In my words, or I'll show you, he's got a lot of um, people to win over and a lot of points to prove. And I think he'll turn out to be a, a, a secret little diamond for the rest of the season. I, I think Phil went in there, with, as we'd say, uh, with studs slightly showing when he was talking about uh, Timo Werner. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a little bit harsh. He's played 80 minutes of football he's at his new club, getting used to a new system. He can score goals. We've seen it. His record at RB Leipzig is not bad, certainly before he was signed by Chelsea. And I think Andrew will get the best out of him. But anyway, uh, look, Spurs fans, is it any different? I'm not expecting him to score goals. What you said, that's what Bridget said. It wasn't expect- I was expecting to see the other stuff from him. And I didn't, I didn't see enough of that. What, 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 okay, but you're right. Maybe I was too harsh. It's one game away to Manchester United. It's 80 minutes fine. But I was expecting to see more uh, spark from him. And I didn't necessarily see that. But I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to um, eat my words. And it's the 23rd of February, by the way. Chelsea against Spurs, so maybe he's got that in his uh, in his diary, the date to uh, to to prove everyone wrong. Watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's just a warning, right? You didn't get a yellow card for that slightly showing your studs, but it was close, right? Uh, one player I want to talk about just before we move on from Spurs is Richarlison. He scored six goals in seven games now for Spurs. Oof. Um, so he's revitalised, right, Bridgie? Yes, he is back and back with a bang. You know, I, I think uh, when the when the club and Ange talked about his, his off-the-field um, issues that he was having to 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 handle um with his, his his mental side and what had been going going on. I think the club must have handled that sensation because now he looks like a player that is um looking forward to putting on that Tottenham jersey. He's a player that's relishing uh, that number nine role. Uh, and you know, I think what we've seen, he, he's able to get goals from anywhere. So I, I'm delighted. There's nothing better than seeing a uh, just a striker in great form and somebody that's back enjoying the football because at times I looked like he was just going to down tools and walk off and never see football ever again. And we don't want to see that when you're talking about world class players. He looked in a he looks in a much better state of mind. Goals always help. That performances help. That put a smile on your face. And um, I'm just buzzing for him as a footballer rather than as a Spurs man. Um, it's just great to see somebody back at ease with their life and sport. Next, we're going to talk about Newcastle against Manchester City. What a game that was. Entertainment, goals galore, and also the quality of goals were very impressive. Bridget, you had bird's eye view. You had a great seat. You commentated on the game. What did you make of it? Oh, lads, what a game to commentate on. I mean, it was just <laughs> mind-blowing. Um, the, the goals that you mentioned there, Swartzy, I think all five of them are possibly goal of the month contenders um, and all for different reasons. I mean, Bernardo Silva's little flick inside the area, it wasn't just the quality of the finish, it was the way that the car of Newcastle opened and, and totally exposed Dan Byrne down the right-hand side. He was too narrow, the cross came in, Silva's got a lot to do and then you go from one end of the field to the other, the two attacking goals from Isak and Anthony Gordon were just absolutely brilliant. Now, I think Edison may have saved one of them, Swartzy. I want to get your goalkeeper's take on this because, obviously, they, they had to make a change early on with the injury to um, Edison. But I think the Gordon goal that I saw, I, I reckon that, you know, it was he could have done a lot better in that situation. Um, and then seeing Kevin De Bruyne come back on, mate, they, he, I thought he was going to score the free kick. Um, but then the, the actual goal, he meant that nutmeg on Shaw to get that bottom corner pass. And if there's anything any players out there that are listening that play the game can learn, uh, it just tells you you don't need to smash a ball as hard as you can and go for the top corner goal. The technique and the placement of that finish was pure world class. And then seeing the Oscar, <laughs> this kid Oscar Bob, by the way, what a player and what a goal. So, mate, I was just in awe. I didn't want the game to finish. There was eight minutes extra um, in the first half at, at half time. And then there was only three at the end of the game. I was wanting to see another 15, 20 minutes go because it was absolutely brilliant. And yet again, Manchester City found a way and I think they're going to go on a hell of a run now and probably uh, win the title. Um, Phil, it's Manchester City now. They've well, We said that they might be stuttering, might be struggling to, to keep touch with the top teams. Now they're unbeaten in the last nine, winning eight of them. Yeah, I mean, we said they were sort of struggling and, and, and stuttering because they, they, they were four, 
for Manchester City. Obviously, we've got such high uh, expectations of them that when there are slight gaps in their armour, um, we maybe jump on um, the bandwagon or get carried away and think that they are stuttering. But for Manchester City, I think it's fair to say that some of the performances in recent weeks have been below par. This was a, um, a really big result and the fact that it was achieved with Kevin De Bruyne coming off the bench and scoring a magnificent equaliser and then setting up an incredible winner, um, I think is actually very, very telling. And it just does feel like, OK, De Bruyne is back now. Let's get serious. And I just don't know, like, Bridget, you were there in the stadium. Was there a feeling, like, when he came on that there was there was expectation or Manchester City were going to completely ramp it up now? Was there a feeling from Newcastle, from their fans of, uh-oh, we're going to be on the back foot now? What was the feeling like when he came on? The general consensus of everything that was going on around us, so when I've got the doing the core comms, at halftime, I didn't make a, a lot of um, Newcastle listeners very happy because the halftime stats, Newcastle are 2-1 up. And basically, Newcastle had never won a game this season when they've gone behind, but they were winning at half time. And I'm saying, you know, they've got to beat all the stats here. Eddie Howard never lost back to back home games at Newcastle since he's been in charge. So that you could just feel this. And then you looked at the benches and you looked at the quality that Man City had to bring on and game changers as opposed to Newcastle's team that is very thin and you didn't see any game changers there. So. I was looking at the half-time and thinking, are Newcastle going to come out and play the same as the first half? Man City had such a high line. The ball's over the top. Isak was running on them. Gordon was running on them. Almiron. And they really, really hurt Manchester City in the transition, the counter-attack. However, second half, they came out. And what did they do? They went back to the back four, the midfield five, and Isak up front on his own and said, can you break us down? They did it against Paris Saint-Germain away from home in the Champions League. And what happened? They found a way. So I was very, very worried, as everybody else was sitting around me going, oh, this is going to change because City can do it. They've done it time and time again. And then when you see Kevin De Bruyne stand on the sideline and Pep Guardiola smiling, looking at his diamond and going, go on, <laughs> young man, go and do what you do best. I didn't think, and nobody thought he'd make the impact that he did, um, but he completely changed the game. He found the pockets of space, let Newcastle try to nullify. And yeah, it, it, when it went to 2-2 and everybody, you could see Newcastle, there was a lot of the fans started leaving because they didn't want to see the winning goal. Yeah, I mean, it did. It, it, yeah, no one really thought he was going to have that kind of impact. But um, it, I was when he came on. I, I, I think I thought that he was going to have a big, big say in this game. And we kind of like we've overlooked it, haven't it? Haven't we? That Man City have been without their best player for the whole season. This was his second appearance of the of the season. And OK, I know Rodri's really important and Erling Haaland is a monster and Phil Foden super talented, but Kevin De Bruyne is their best all-round player and one that is so important uh, for, uh, for for how they play structurally. So now that he's back, Bridgie, is this, is this it now? Is this the moment where they go on this monster run that everybody's been predicting that they're going to go on and leave the uh, title challenge, um, you know, make a mockery of the fact that, that anyone's going to challenge for them? I still think there's going to be a hell of a, t a challenge on between the yeah, Liverpool and Arsenal. I think they're going to they're going to have a good go, no doubt about it. But Salah's away; they're going to miss him for a few matches. It's going to be interesting to see how that happens. The obviously Arsenal have shown that they are very vulnerable at this moment in time as well, having a few few losses. So they've the the gateway has kind of opened for Manchester City. And then when you see the likes, you know, City have got nobody away at the Asian or African Nations Cup. They've got um, the they're getting players back. It's the injury crisis that they're looking at. So that is the scary thought process. But to give you an idea, De Bruyne has been out for five months. Phil, I came back from injury and I was struggling 
in to even cross that white line to jog <laughs> onto the field, let alone get the ball and think I'm going to win yeah. this game for the team. It was all about me thinking, can I get through this game? And without getting injured in this. And he came out and he was just like, right, can I win this game for Manchester City? Yes, I can. So the, the effort and work with that he's gone through to get back fit, the psychological and mental battle that he's gone through to come on and be that mentally strong in that game, in that moment, when they're 2-1 down, to have that mindset is incredible. And the way he's being treated and handled for Pep Guardiola to recognise the time for the staff to say, this is your moment to come on. I just think everything's, it's incredible. Uh, and I got injured a lot in my career. And to witness what K, uh, KBD did was was sensational. So, um, yeah, watch this space. City are going to go on a massive run. They're, they're just picking up results at will now. On the other hand, Newcastle, um, Phil, they've lost four in a row now. I want to get both of your thoughts on this. Where does it leave Newcastle? They're 10th in the, in, on the table right now. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about uh, teams uh, missing players and I think Newcastle have been absolutely uh, decimated by uh, by injuries over the last uh, couple of months and you've, you've, you've seen that. I mean, you've seen them look uh, sometimes, you know, tired. Uh, a lot of players have had a lot of minutes uh, in the last few weeks and I think that's just exacerbated by what Bridgie said. Look at the two benches and I'm literally looking at the two benches now from that game and it is really quite startling the, the difference in quality of, of, of depth because I'm also looking at the players that both respective sides had out and there are, you know, double figures for, uh, for Newcastle. So I think it's understandable that they've um, slacked off. I think this being such an open uh, Premier League season, obviously the season's not over yet, clearly not. Um, they're only five points off a, a European place. I think Champions League does feel like it's going to be too far for them, doesn't it? But in terms of them having a cup run, they're away at Fulham in the cup, that's, you know, that's winnable. It should be a good, quite open, exciting game, but that's winnable. And who knows, you know, a cup run and top six, possibly not what... <laughs> Newcastle fans were expecting after the big jump last season, but in terms of sort of slow progression, maybe a deep cup run and, and top six wouldn't be um, wouldn't be a terrible a step back. I know they got to a cup final last year and made the Champions League, and and, and it, it would feel like a step back. But in terms of progression. Um, it doesn't feel like they're a million miles away. It just also feels like this Premier League. Yeah, season is so open. Like there are so many teams up there, so many teams that are also overachieving. Some teams that are wildly underachieving as well. So it is it's difficult for, for for Newcastle fans to to really maybe reconcile the fact that okay, we're not a con, we're not a consolidated top four team yet. We're not. It takes a while for that to happen. One good yeah. season doesn't mean that you're going to get Champions League every season. Yeah, after Griefel, I think they they've got to be very careful for the remainder of the season because it's a it's a run that I think the Derby win in the FA Cup helped beating Sunderland three 0 There was a little bit of a lot of pressure eased off um, anyhow, and the the team for that performance I thought it would have galvanised and the in the shorter the short quality against Man City they just couldn't I, I don't like the way they changed their style when they were pressing and they were playing the balls over the top to go in defensive defensive style does not suit Newcastle they've proved that they can get broken down. The late winner in the League Cup against Chelsea when Trippier slipped when they were defending the lead as well. It's happened three times now, so I'm hoping they learn from that, and I'm sure Eddie Eddie will. However, when you look at the teams in and around Newcastle now in 10th, you got Wolves who've got a new manager that didn't start the season very well, but they've been picking on the points. Uh, O'Neill's doing a great job. Bournemouth, who the new manager has had, was having a nightmare, and then they've gone an amazing run, or catching them up. And Fulham are stop-start, and then you've got Crystal Palace with your man, Roy Hodgson. 
So they're chasing Newcastle United. Now, Newcastle United didn't think they'd be in this position. And they've got to be very, very careful. I think the realistic, the, the fans' expectations have gone through the roof, Phil, like you said, because of where they finished last season. However, what I respect is the club's expectations for this season. Did They did say that they would be happy with anything above 10th. So the reality, they, they've got the, the, the club are still level-headed. They'd love to go and spend money, but they can't because of this new and rule. Um, but they, they've, they're they've on a level playing field, but they've got to be very careful they don't start slipping even further now because Aston Villa is the next game and that could be another loss for, for Newcastle United because Villa are, are flying very, very high under Unai Emery. So, yeah, not 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 good signs around um, this region at this moment in time. There's a little bit of vulnerability. Barra doing all right. <laughs> Absolutely, Phil. On that note, Burrow doing well. Yeah, I don't know what you're on about, Bridgie. You know what it is? It's just because it's not Bridgie's team. He's got he hasn't got any affiliation yeah. with Middlesbrough at all. That's why he's not even going to mention yeah. it. So now that you brought it up, great performance in the first leg of the Carabao uh, Cup against Chelsea, yeah, which go. I was at. Um, Middlesbrough were fantastic, um, and uh, at the moment they've got to be the shining light of the northeast. Let's move just quickly. <laughs> I, I, the five goals were brilliant. We just we mentioned that early on before when we first started talking about Newcastle and Manchester City I'm going to pick one of the goals as my favourite right and I want you guys to do exactly the same because they were so so good so different Uh, to answer your question you asked me about whether or not uh, Edison would have saved uh, Anthony Gordon's goal I don't think so the ball comes in behind around the defender I think I think the keeper sees it really late so I I don't think Edison necessarily would save I think they're all top top quality goals I loved Kevin De Bruyne's goal because it was so simple, but so difficult yeah. from that angle, and the timing was yeah. brilliant. But I'm going to have to say Oscar Bobby's first ever Premier League goal. What a touch. What, a, like a double touch from left to right, and then slotted it in. So I've got to give it to Oscar Bob. That was my favourite, Phil. What a touch and what a ball as well from Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. I mean, the ball is just insanely good. It's perfect. It's 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 extraordinary. And then yeah, uh, Oscar Bob with that magnificent piece of skill. Uh, it's 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 the best goal of the five, I think. Um, but the competition is pretty um, pretty um, stiff. I mean, I, I really like Isaac's finish as well. It's such a sort of a confident number nine finish straight through on goal, and the way he takes it, that just didn't feel ever like he was going to miss it. But yeah, I think the Oscar Bob goal is the, is the best of the five. <sighs> I want to agree with you and give the trifecta, but I'm going to stick with Newcastle United. I'm going to say Isak because the the way that ball was transitioned from, there was three moments in that that goal and you've got to go back even further to see it. There was Shaw made two tackles inside his own area, inside his own half to win the ball. And they were, if he he doesn't win the ball, he gets red carded, but he won both the tackles. He played the ball into Bruno uh, Gimaraes in the midfield. Bruno didn't even look up and he plays this (laughs) 35-yard no-look pass in behind uh, the back four of City in the high line. And then obviously Isak goes on and does the rest. So for me, I'm going to give it Newcastle because of the moment that had happened in the game and the two moments that led up to it got Newcastle back on song. Yeah, of course you're going to give it to Newcastle. <laughs> uh, guys, we should um, talk about the uh, Asian Cup and Australia's first game in it. Obviously, I've got two, there's two Australians here on the podcast with me, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you about uh, the performance. That 2-0 win against uh, India, both goals coming in the second half. Um, was it a bit of a struggle, uh, Schwartzy, for them to break down India? Was it a kind of game that we sort of expected? Did you expect more goals? What, what were your thoughts? Um, you know what? I actually kind of expected it would be a little bit of a struggle um, because it's a you know it's a different type of game. Look, we saw how well Australia did at the World Cup against 
better opposition. Australia, I don't think anybody gave, I certainly didn't give Australia a chance of getting out of the group of the World Cup, playing against far superior opposition. This is the game where obviously Australia were overwhelming favourites against an India side who I have to say are incredibly improved upon from 2011, which you'd hope they would be. But when I played against them in 2011, they were okay, they were good. But this side was a lot more organised, a lot more disciplined. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of, you know, half scares for Australia, but nothing too serious. It was more about Australia. And I thought that sometimes our delivery in the box wasn't at its best. Um, I thought Craig Goodwin had a lot of the possession, a lot of ball down uh, the left-hand side. And delivery in the box at times wasn't at its best. But then India was set up really, really well to deal with Australia knocking balls into the box. We had two big centre-halves. They were dominating. The goalkeeper came for everything, even though, which that also led to the first goal, Australia scoring from a goalkeeper mistake. Um, So overall, I think it was a job done. Are there things to improve upon? Absolutely. A lot to improve upon. Um, But I think, look, 2-0, three points on the board, a good hit out and a proper game. Um, and there were some positives to be taken out of it. You know, like Harry Sutter's hardly played any football. Again, you know, we, we, we talk, I talked about the, the World Cup, similar situation, different in terms of at least he's fit. Um, but yeah, he struggled a little bit. Mitchell Duke hasn't played quite a bit of football, hasn't played football for about five or six weeks because it's the off-season from J2 for him. So I, I think overall, I think it's pretty satisfying. Um, but moving forward, they're going to have to be better. But Pace yourself. Teams that go on and win these tournaments generally pace themselves and get better as the tournament goes on. So I'm betting on Australia getting better with each game. Plus the other result, Phil, as well, with a nil-nil draw, totally helped out Australia in that group as well. Uh, and I, I would, I've got to give give somebody a shout out. He got an assist in that game. Um, I've been loving watching him over here in, in the UK playing for Middlesbrough, um, and it's Riley McGree. He got an assist. He came on. In the 60-odd minute and the second goal obviously was created by him. But there's, there's a lad playing at Middlesbrough. I speak to Jonathan Woodgate, an ex-colleague of mine. Um, he's the assistant manager under Michael Carrick at Middlesbrough. Every time we chat, he gets excited when he talks about Riley McGree. He just says his attitude, his professionalism, his recovery runs. Um, and he's a joy to work with. So if that's anything to go by, you've, you've talked about a few players that haven't seen a lot of game time. Uh, Swartzy playing for the Socceroos at this moment. That'll need games under their belt. Riley's... Riley's um, Obviously, didn't start the game, but you're getting a player that's coming on fresh in the game zone. And like, I think he had a massive, massive impact. And the only other stat that disappointed me from the game um, was that there was 14 corners to Australia. There was none to the opposition. And we didn't see Harry Suter get on the end of one of them. So maybe it's the rustiness that you're on about sports mm-hmm. and the two tall centre-halves that India had. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a professional job that Australia and the Socceroos got done. And Graham Arnold will be delighted going into the um, into the next the next match, obviously, especially with the other result. I think Riley McGree is big. It is important for this team if they're going to go far in the tournament. You're right. Uh, he's only played what 13 league games for Middlesbrough this season. He's been hampered by injuries, yeah. so he's only played half of their less than half of their their games. Um, so it's important that he gets back to fitness. We saw how good he was at the World Cup. I don't think a lot of people expected him to start, but obviously the injury to Aidan Rustic opened up a possibility at that World Cup. Uh, I thought Ryan McGree was excellent. Uh, his work rate is outstanding, and he's, a, he's a technically a very good footballer as well. So you're right, Bridgie. Um, I think that's, that's a big positive for Australia moving forward, him, him getting that game time and ha- making an impact when he came on. Um, and like I said, going forward, they just, they're going to have to progress. That's just normal. They're going to have to get better as the, as the games go on. 
goes without saying. Um, don't have to be a rocket science to know that one, but it's exciting. Sorty, I would ask you um, about the the result. Obviously, that the Socceroos got. Who, including the Socceroos, are the the threats to win this? Oh, goes without saying. For me, Japan are the number one favourites. If you look at their squad, it is outstanding. It's one. It's it's a top top class squad of players. Um, it's whether or not they can create a good team out of it, but Japan will be very tough. They were they won their first game against Vietnam. They were they were one nil up and then found themselves two one behind. So they got themselves back in the game, won the game in the end four two. I, I kind of was just a little bit surprised about the way the goal scoring went, um, but I think uh, Japan are definitely the favourites. Korea uh, Republic not far behind that. They've got a very strong side as well, um, and then it's a. Then it's a, a number of teams. Obviously, Australia are right in that mix as well. Um, but they're the two for me, to, two teams to beat. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a tough tournament. Um, venues are great. Stadiums are great. The support was really good in the first game for Australia, um, which was which is outstanding. And hopefully it gets... Well, I'm sure it'll get better as the games go on, as the tournament uh, gets reduced in terms of knockout stages. I think we're, in, uh, we're looking forward to some cracking games moving forward. Um, so, yeah. Looking forward to it. Let's move on to La Liga. It was the Basque derby. And so it was Athletic Bilbao against Real Sociedad. Um, I think you've described it in the past, Phil, something on the lines of it. Like, it's a derby, it's a big derby, but it's kind of a friendly derby. The fans like each other. Is that is that right? So it's a really unique fixture. Yeah, I've spoken about it before on the uh, on the podcast where it's, it's a real fierce rivalry between Athletic Club and Real Sociedad. And yet, I think it's the only derby in the world where fans are mixed. So this was being played in Bilbao uh, at the magnificent San Mamés Stadium, over 50,000 people, tremendous atmosphere. There was an away section, 400 Real Sociedad fans, but dotted in and around the Athletic, the home fans, were, were loads of Real Sociedad fans. Um, they'd gone with their mates who were Athletic Bilbao supporters. They'd been sitting there, or Athletic Club de Bilbao supporters, sitting there with them, watching the game together. And this is what this fixture is, is all about. It is about unity. So these two clubs don't necessarily like each other, but they recognise first and foremost we are Basque. We're Basque brothers. This 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 uh, fixture is a celebration of what it is to be from this region. We are Basque above everything, and then we're rivals. But first and foremost, we're united by this bond that we have, and I think that's really nice to see. Obviously, there are people who have said that's not football. That's no. not a derby. That's not rivalry. I want I want I want animosity. I want people frothing at the mouth. I want screaming. I want blood. Well, well, no. I mean, you know, if you want that, you, you get that in pretty much any other derby in the world. This is unique. And like I said, believe me, there is a real atmosphere there. It's not just everyone sitting there holding hands going, la, 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 we are all Basque. We love each other. No, <laughs> they really don't like each other. But at the same time, they re they realise that they are united by this bond. And it's it's actually a really special thing in the world of football and really quite unique. So um, the games in themselves tend to be like really high intensity, really fast, really quick, a little bit British style. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a fixture that everybody needs to experience at least once in their lifetime just because it is so different, Bridgie. Well, I'm sorry, mate. I do not want to go to a, a derby game and sit next to my mate that's supporting the other team, share a beer with him, 
His he's bought the first round of drinks in, right? His team score. He's one nil up. His team scores second goal, and I know that it's my round next, and I've got to go and buy him or her and drink, <laughs> knowing that his team have just scored two goals, and that 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 does not sit well with me. That is not that you haven't sold the atmosphere to me. I think I would if I'm going to go with my family, I'll no. take take me I'll take me kids, but I'm not going there to, to sit next to somebody. Swartzy, what's your take on that? Surely you're not up for that neither. I, I am, yeah, absolutely. I I think it'd be great. You know what? I'm I'm intrigued. I th- I love I love uh, Bilbao. I love the area. I love San Sebastian. I love that whole area, northern Spain. I've got good friends who live in that part of the world as well. So I've actually been invited to go to Bilbao and spend time there, get a tour around the city, and also more importantly, all the proper bars and restaurants to go and visit. So to take that in with a football match, um, which my friends are mad Bilbao fans as well. So I'd love to do that. Bridget, you can still banter with them. You were just talking about that. They still banter with each other. They're still laughing at each other. Like, if you go 3-0 up, you're laughing at your mate. It's, it still works like that. Just no one's, like, punching anyone or screaming, you know, we're going to kill you. It's just, it's, there's still banter. Yeah. Phil, this is, the, this is the kind of thing that I, I loved Australia. I love being in Australia. The thing I couldn't get my head around is that the fans would sit next to each other when they, you know, they 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 you've got to separate them. You want to give them stick. And you know, that's the, the culture that I've been brought up in. So when I, when I was seeing like the, the, the early games and the fans are mixing in, they're sitting and they're joking with their friends. I'm like, no, you don't want to do not speak to that person till the end of the whistle. And then you want hatred. Stick. No, you want no, hatred. You want violence. Yeah. I'll tell you what I will do, Phil. I will go at one of the games, but you said there's a section where there was 400 fans were put into. Yeah. From the opposition. Yeah. 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 I'll go and sit and I'll I'll experience that, but I want to go and sit with the rest of my fans from the rest of my team. I don't want to be sitting with other other jerseys around us. No, that, I'm I'm a that's yeah that's my culture. Sorry, <laughs> that's just a step too far. Yeah, yeah. Bridgie wants to see people in cages. He likes to see the volatility. What a cage does to a fan. Put them behind a cage fence and let Morty, them act like animals. Remember, that's what he wants to see. I have grown up in a region in the northeast where Newcastle and Sunderland. Fans do not get on, and whenever they can, I mean, it was just great to see the last match actually, where seven thousand away fans were allowed back in. Um, I think I'm hoping that the old firm derbies now up in Scotland have seen that you can't do matches without having hooligans and without having fights going on, because it was nice to actually see away fans that in Newcastle go to Sunderland um, and get out un- unharmed, and, and everybody made a thing of it. But let's not get distracted from this. This is this is the one that... It was never really a competition, though, was it? It was Newcastle against the Sunderland side, who have done really, really well, and they're looking to find their way back to the Premier League, but they're a long way off it just yet. It was never... It was always going to be a one-sided contest, let's be honest. Stop fueling the fire. Let's it get was. back to La Liga. Come on. It was. Know where you are. Know where you are at the moment in the pecking order. At the moment, Sunderland are a long way off Newcastle, as are Middlesbrough, let's be honest, as well. Uh, just before we move on from, from the, the, the Basque derby, Phil, Atleti Bilbao, third on the table in La Liga. I know they've played one game more than Barcelona and Atletico, uh, Atletico de Madrid. Do they have a chance? Outside chance? Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah. Um, to to win La Liga, no, uh, I don't think they have any chance to uh, to win La Liga. But to get a Champions League spot, uh, yes, very much so. Uh, it's pretty open in in uh, La Liga this season, uh, given that Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are, are really really underperforming, and Athletic Club are just a. 
a really good team to watch. Uh, they're really, like I said, intense. Uh, they have more sprints than anyone else uh, in La Liga. They run more uh, meters. They're very, very physical. They get the ball quickly, very, very uh, fast. They've got some really good players. And Ernesto Valverde, the former Barcelona manager who was sacked while he was top of the league uh, with uh, Barcelona, is doing a, a tremendous job. So uh, watch out for them because they could be back in the uh, in the Champions League. They're going really well. They won two one, by the way, against the Real Sociedad. I didn't even mention the uh, didn't even mention the uh, the result got carried away with talk of the atmosphere but it was a, it was a really good result for them and yeah like you said they're third eight points behind leaders Girona well and the, the only thing I'd say about that is your hashtag always watch Girona has taken a bit of a hit hasn't it I mean let's be honest you guarantee goals right. you said watch Girona you always see goals Bridgie for the first time watched Girona play I had a look as well Come on, what, what are, like, seriously, it was not a single goal. What is going on with Girona? Have the wheels fallen off? Are they going to nosedive now? <laughs> it was nil-nil. Okay, it was nil-nil against bottom side Almeria. I mean, it was the first nil-nil in 10 months for uh, Girona. It was only the second time this season that they hadn't managed to, to score. Actually, they played really badly, and it was the kind of performance where you just got at a loss for words to explain what went wrong. Literally everything went wrong. They didn't do anything right. And I was watching this with my son, who knows about hashtag always watch Girona, obviously. That's why I was watching. And he knows that Almeria are bottom of the table and not very good. And he goes, Daddy, what's going on? Almeria are better than them. I was like, mate, I don't know. I can't explain this. But Girona weren't doing anything well at all. I would say, though, they played so badly. They played really badly, Girona. And they came away with a point. They managed to get something from a game where they did not perform well in at all. So I think that's quite positive for them. And that point does put them a point clear at the top of the table ahead of Real Madrid, who are off winning the uh, the Spanish Super Cup. Phil, there's one thing. This phone never stopped ringing and getting text messages yesterday. I was in this local snooker club having a game of snooker and watched the Manchester um, match against Tottenham. And we're in there and I was just about to leave the snooker club and I made sure that I told everybody in there, I said, by the way, there's a hell of a game on tonight. I said, forget Real Madrid against Barcelona. I said, Girona's the team to watch, man. They're playing bottom of the league. It's going to be a goal fest. Hashtag always watch Girona. And I mentioned your name. I said, you know, the, the man that knows everything about the Spanish football and La Liga. And um, I got home and the lad said, you really made us miss Real Madrid against Barcelona to watch that toilet. So you've cost me. I, I thought they were going to turn up this morning outside my house and start protesting. Well, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It was a, it was a little blip on the radar. That is a lovely and beautifully told story, uh, Bridgie. Unfortunately, it's also physically completely impossible because Almeria <laughs> against Girona was played several hours before Man United Spurs and six or seven hours before the the Real Madrid Barcelona game. So I think your friends were either sort of time travelling in rather strange ways or. It maybe didn't happen. Maybe. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story for me to try and have a go at you. <laughs> Good call. And, and also, people with big noses, you should never believe what they say because that is oh, low rubbish. Oh, class. Yeah. Oh, you've got us, Phil. Sorry. Let's move on to Real Madrid against Barcelona in the Super Cup final, which was played in Saudi Arabia. Um, what a game. I mean, Real Madrid tore shreds off Barcelona. What What is going on? I mean, it just showed the golf in class, right? And it, and it it's shown that how far... Barcelona have fallen and fallen and how much under pressure Xavi has to be now because that was a just a not only the scoreline it was the way in which they lost the game 
Uh, they lost 4-1 Schwartzy and honestly it could have been if not double figures but I mean Real Madrid could have scored 7-8 or 9 maybe if, they, if they'd wanted to. It was so so comfortable. I put out a tweet yesterday saying I've lived in Spain for 12 years. I've seen a lot of Clasicos and this was the most comfortable Clasico win for Real Madrid that I can remember. It never ever felt in doubt and it helped that they were 2-0 up after 10 minutes. Vinicius Junior scored a hat-trick. It's only his second ever hat-trick for uh, Real Madrid. Uh, Rodrigo scored in the uh, in the second half. Jude Bellingham didn't score, but he put in a brilliant performance. And his assist for Vinicius's first goal is just absolutely out of this world. There's a great way that they describe things in um, in Spanish. When something's fantastic, they say fantasia, fantasia. It's fantasy, and that that was pure fantasy. The uh, Jude Bellingham uh, assist for the first goal. And yeah, I mean, listen, Barcelona won the uh, Spanish Super Cup against uh, Real Madrid a year ago, 3-1. A really, really good performance. Barcelona are reigning league champions. They finished way ahead of Real Madrid last season. But this season, they are really off the pace, really off the pace. And this was a worrying, worrying uh, result for uh, Barcelona just because they seemed second best in every aspect. And Xavi is under pressure. I've said on the podcast, and I don't think that... Um, don't think he's going to get sacked uh, this season. I think they will see him out until the end of the season. But boy, they are under serious, serious pressure. And they are not playing well at all, at all. Phil, a couple of things from me from that game. Um, obviously, you've been in the know over there. The high line that Barca played. Suicidal. I mean, listen, we know they want to press and all the rest of it. But they got they got exposed like ridiculous in that moment. Has, has that come into question? And going on to a little different tangent, uh, Vinicius Junior's celebration. He ran off with a number seven jersey on the corner after his first goal. And I do believe he did the Ronaldo sweet or whatever he does, his celebration. Has Ronaldo got that as copyright? And could he could he potentially sue him? Or has he done this before has he done this before? Because I've never seen him do it. <laughs> I think it was a, it was in homage to Ronaldo because it was being played right. in Saudi Arabia. I'm not right. sure if it was in the stadium that Al Nasir uh, play at, but I think it was in homage to Cristiano. So I think he'll probably let Vinny off on on that one because uh, you know he yeah, was yeah. Uh, he was boosting his ego. Um, the high line, yeah, it was really sort of um, evident that it was not working for uh, Barcelona. It got exposed badly uh, in the first half. And if you're going to press like that, and I was talking to a journalist here about it, you're going to press like, like that and play high up the pitch. You need to do that with someone like Gavi in the team. And Gavi isn't in the team and you lose a lot when he's not in the team and you try and play with that kind of uh, high line. And Real Madrid just exposed it uh, really, really quite simply. I mean, there were there were individual errors as well for the first goal. Jules Koundé is um, really, really at, at fault, even though you know it's a great pass from Bellingham and, and Vinny does very, very well. There were individual errors, but yeah, Xavi has been questioned tactically as well. And it's not just yeah. um, you know the team aren't playing the kind of magnificent football that Barcelona fans want. It's that they seem to be technical and tactical issues, kind of basic ones that aren't working at the moment. A um, couple of things. Vinicius Jr.'s hat-trick was inside the first 39 minutes. It was then 3-1 because Lewandowski scored after 2-0 down. He went to 2-1 and then obviously Vinicius Jr. That was pretty much game over from that point of view, wasn't it? I mean, that's how the dominance was. And like you said, Phil, they could have gone on and won by far more after that. The thing is, uh, Barcelona have been consistently conceding goals uh, early on in games and they've been consistently, and to use Bridgie's uh, favourite phrase, absolutely toilet in the first half of matches. If, if matches lasted 45 minutes in La Liga, they'd be 14th. I mean, that's a really striking... Uh, um, uh, really striking statistic and I just read something before kept coming on air in La Liga they played 19 games they've only been ahead 
after 75 minutes in three of those games. They've needed the last 15 minutes to get out of trouble um, consistently in La Liga. And again, they, they gave up a big advantage really early on to, uh, to Real Madrid. They were not good in that first half and uh, it was obviously too much. But yeah, big, 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 big problems for, uh, for, for, for Barcelona. And I didn't necessarily see this coming as well. I remember after, um, I think it was the uh, uh, Madrid derby, I think I wrote a piece in my Optusport column saying, no, uh, Real Madrid have a much worse squad than Athletic to go Madrid and Barcelona and Barcelona are playing great football and they're going to go on and and wow, it shows that I know absolutely nothing because the uh, the shortcomings in the Barcelona squad are pretty evident for everyone to see. Does it seem like Phil that there's been a like you know when you see in teams when they hit a wall, they hit a brick wall and it doesn't seem like they're able to get out of it that they don't seem to be fighting for the manager? Does it feel like the players are not listening anymore to the manager as well? They're having a Man United in my eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think there are people that are definitely underperforming for whatever reason. Jao Felix and Robert Lewandowski, two absolute superstars who are way below what we're expecting of them. They have had injuries. Obviously, Pedri's been missing for a long time. Gavi's out as well. Ter Stegen in goal, who was so important for them last season, saved so many goals. They won 11 matches, 1-0 last season, with Ter Stegen making some unbelievable saves. And it's little details like that that, that, that have been the difference this season. I don't know if... Players aren't fighting for Chavi, but there certainly seems some players who are not necessarily as motivated as they uh, as they possibly should be. Phil, couple, just a couple more from me going into the remainder of this season in La Liga. Obviously, drawing on Real Madrid. Uh, who's going to do it? And the other one for me, which I'm very excited about, are we going to see Mbappe at Real Madrid next season? Oh, no, you said the M-word. Oh, I definitely... Oh, talking about Mbappe, yeah, it happens a lot. People talk about Mbappe a lot all the time, consistently for the last Sorry. five years in Spain. I've heard that word repeated so many times. It's OK, Bridget, it's what everybody's asking. Uh, I think Real Madrid are playing it pretty cool, to be honest. Uh, I think they've been burnt so many times that they're not that fussed now. So if Mbappe wants to come to Real Madrid, the ball is in his court. I think he has to make the first move. He has to um, show that he is willing because they've been burnt so many times. They thought he was coming five years ago. They thought he was coming last year and it doesn't happen. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's up to him, I think. And are Real Madrid going to do it? It's theirs to lose right now. And I know that feels silly uh, with them not actually being top at the moment. Uh, but they've got a game in hand on Girona. They're a point behind them. And they are clearly, at the moment... Um, the, the, the big favourites because they've got experience, they've got a much bigger squad, they've got a manager who's more experienced in this kind of thing than, than Girona, who are their, their uh, title rivals. Um, dis we're discounting Barcelona, we're discounting Atletico Madrid at the moment, it's between these two. And if it's a, a straight race between Girona and Real Madrid, you obviously have to back Real Madrid, obviously. Phil, if you look at it, if you look at the, the fixtures coming up, right, obviously they've got Copa del Rey coming up uh, in four days' time against Atletico, Atletico de Madrid. And then they've got a run of fixtures in the league up until the 4th of February. And then seven days later, they play Girona. So they play 4th of February, they play Atletico de Madrid in La Liga and then Girona the following weekend. Could it almost mm. not be over with, but literally Real Madrid in control of La Liga after that Girona game on the 11th of February? Yeah, could be, could be. I mean, obviously, we have to see how Girona uh, handle um, the setback of uh, dropping points at Almeria and whether they can come back. And, and because when you win a, win a league title, guys, you just got to be relentless. You just got to get into that zone and just relentlessly win games, win after win after win, uh, find a way to win matches. And Real Madrid know how to do that. Real Madrid have been doing that for a long time. And 
enjoy it and have him. So um, that's what makes uh, Real Madrid uh, clear favourites. It is an uh, interesting... Music to my ears, Phil. Keep talking them up because there's one thing that is consistent with me. I do support a lot of clubs, as Swartzy keeps telling you. There's one thing that is consistent. They all wear white. Real Madrid, Tottenham, Leeds United. There you go. <laughs> they all wear the pure white. So there is one thing that is a constant. Well, I think the Los Blancos are going to win this season, um, uh, Bridgie. But yeah, watch out, by the way. You mentioned the Copa del Rey. Barcelona are away to a third division team in the Copa del Rey uh, this week. And if they lose then, oh my word, the pressure will be absolutely enormous on uh, Xavi. So yeah, just keep an eye on that because that could be interesting. Yeah, off the back of that hiding against Real Madrid, that anything's possible. Um, and then we may even see uh, Xavi possibly gone after that because I can imagine if they lost to a third division side away from home in Copa del Rey no you're not having it I still don't think so I still don't think so I think I think he'll he'll see out to the end of the season there's just no one else really I mean they've got Rafa Marquez who's the you know B team boss but I I, I can't see them sacking Xavi and bringing in remember they haven't really got any money as well it's not like they can go out and you know say you know we'll we'll bring in a, a huge coach and pay him loads of money they haven't got any money so you know they've got to stick with Xavi I think until the end of the season at least you say they haven't got money. They just signed a Brazilian striker in this window. They always find a way of finding some more money somewhere, Barcelona. They do something. If there's a threat that Barcelona is going to drop out of the Champions League places, you watch. They're going to have to do something because they can't afford not to finish in Champions League place. Men, speaking of money issues, right? Not only in La Liga, we're going to go back quickly just to the Premier League. Don't be surprised we don't see Everton and Nottingham Forest in a lot more trouble this season. There's big speculation that there's going to be more deductions and things going on. And there's big talk that I've just found out that they're going to be changing the rules and regulations going into next season, in June, July, that may allow others to get off with it. And they won't, um, like Manchester City saying, they will talk and, and have a chat to the leagues. Um, next season when the rules are going to change midway through. So I don't know what to make of it. I've got to say I'm bang against anything that is going to detract from the Premier League, and I'm sorry, Phil, where you're able to spend whatever you want. If I'm an owner of a club and I want to spend whatever I want and I want to put myself into a financial situation and teams are going to get stopped from bringing the best teams to the league, the Premier League have got to be very careful um, because other leagues will try and capitalise as best they can um, on this uh, situation. So I just think it's a, the next few weeks and months coming into the Premier League um, could be very, very dangerous for some football clubs. And I'm really worried for, for Nottingham Forest and Everton. Yeah, so watch, watch his space um, with regards to other Premier League clubs, potentially even Everton, because I know that's in the next, I think in the next 24 hours, 48 hours, we're going to find out yeah. if there's any more uh, deduction, point deductions, uh, any more penalties, and, and also potentially, like Bridgie said, to any other clubs. Well, guys, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, I want to thank you both again for joining me. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Bridgie. Great to see you guys again. Cheers, Wilson. Absolutely awesome. Thank you, Mark. Great to see you, Phil. Thank you for all the info on La Liga. And I'm sorry I tried to stitch it with the Girona crack, but you did actually expose us and catch us out. So well done. <laughs> anytime, Bridgie. Anytime. <laughs> I don't think that was a sincere apology, uh, Phil, because he was desperate to try and give you a bit of stick. But anyway, remember you can watch every game of the Premier League and La Liga live and exclusive on Optus Sport. And the Women's Super League is back on Optus Sport next weekend with possibly. League debuts in store for Charlie Grant at Spurs and Katrina Gorry at West Ham. See you next time.